This is the Terence and Emma podcast, all about relationships and seeing things differently. Well, welcome to the Terence and Emma podcast. This week, we are sitting down with Colleen Hurst, who is a well-respected clinical psychologist and family therapist who's worked in the counselling industry for over 30 years. When it comes to relationships and, well, relationship counselling, she's seen it all and (laughs) saved many. So we thought we'd have a chat and maybe she can help us all. Well, specifically helping us, I think that this (laughs) is pretty much a guise to help our own relationship and we'll be honest about that. Colleen, we're pretty pumped, but first of all, congratulations on the fact that you're about to have your first grandchild. Yes, thank you. Number one, I'm going to be a But you're a mother of five children. Yes. That's called fruitfully blessed. (laughs) Or crazy, one of the two. Or crazy. I wasn't going to say that, but the fact that you've said it. Look, we're joining you. We're we're about to have number four as well, so this is exciting. Ever that's it for us. We're not actually joining her on number five. Well, <laughs> I just I just want to say up front, Emma, the fact that Colleen is on this side of the desk in the studio means she's on my side. So, okay, let's but, get. But you know, the good news is I've had five kids and I'm still standing. Like that means there is hope. It this can is, be done. Yeah. This is good for Emma to see because when we she found out we were having number four, there was a lot of tears. Of happiness and celebration. Oh, is that what it was? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I Thank won't, you very I won't much, throw her Colleen. under the bus straight away. <laughs> Look, Colleen, we're excited to have you. Uh, obviously, over 30 years' experience when it comes to counseling. And most of us grow up when it comes to relationships, getting our ideas of movies, of what they should be, mm. their fairy tale. Mm. And what we expect is probably the Beyonce song, which is, You got me so crazy in love. And everyone's. Just wants to be crazy in love, but that's what we expect. But what we experience is more, why does love always feel like a battlefield? (laughs) And it's like this always, There's it's an all-out war. So in the context of marriage, what are some of the repeated marital issues that you see couples experiencing and dealing with in your experience? For me, probably the number one thing that brings couples into my counselling room is unresolved conflict. Mm. Conflict itself is not a problem because if we have a couple that fight every day mm-hmm. but they resolve it, they actually have a pretty good marriage because they're learning and growing. If we have couples who say they never fight, then that means it's very likely there's some unresolved conflict because there's no opportunity to deal with some of the crises that happen in the relationship. Oh. This is good already. Unresolved conflict is a tricky thing. Unresolved conflict is going to lead to something that relationship experts call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm, And you you don't want that in your marriage. Four horsemen of the apocalypse is when there's unresolved conflict, what it does, it sets up something called criticism, Mm -hmm. which then grows into contempt, which Mm -hmm. is like belligerence. Is that when your husband talks to you, roll your eyes at him? Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I think it's the other way around, when your wife does it. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha, and gotcha. you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, nice try, Terence. I saw what you did there. So I just the rolled my eyes so, at you. Okay, that's number two. <laughs> yeah, number three, we then get defensive, which mm. is I'm feeling attacked, so I'm going to attack back. And I'm just going to defend me. And my ears are blocked to you. Yeah, that's probably me, actually. Mm. I'm, I'm being honest. I'm, I want to be honest and transparent in this, so I'm yeah, we can, we can take going. some ground. And defensiveness is more of a boy thing. (laughs) And then stonewalling, which is where everyone just gives up 
and they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. So that's where the unresolved conflict can lead to. It's it's bad. That's really massive because I think growing up, you can come from different backgrounds. So, for example, in being of Jamaican parents and heritage, we're kind of the family that just kind of tells you what we're feeling. We'll say it straight out without you requesting that advice or input. Whereas Emma grew up with a family where she said she never saw her parents fight. And so when we first got married and there was conflict or even conversation, she'd be like, this is not normal. Like, my parents never fought. We shouldn't fight. So you're saying either extreme is, is not healthy? Because, I mean, we, we had it all out as our Jamaican family, but her family, she thought the perfect family was you just don't have any conflict. It's not about either extreme being good or bad. It's around couples forming their own unique relationship and working out how do we do this. Mm. Some of the research talks about the three key things in a healthy marriage. And the first one is developing this sense of cohesion that we're an us. It's not so much about where we've come from, but if we can get our own us, then we're on a good start. The second one is developing a sense of flexibility, which means I've got arms that embrace my partner, but they're arms that are wide enough to embrace difference because difference isn't wrong. This is different. And that's all founded on number three, which is good communication. Yeah, wow. I mean, you've just hit a spot which is so key for us where it's about celebrating the uniqueness that we all bring to the table, difference. Absolutely. And through difference, we actually come together and see the complete story of what God's trying to do in our relationship. Absolutely. I love what you said about forming that us, where it's not, not about where I came from or Emma came from or anyone else, but what's the us for you, for example, in your relationship? Is there anything unique that you would define your personal relationship? Um, the us for me and my husband was very much about um, sharing our different interests. Like he had this, he had a passion for football and cricket. I did not have any. I love but, him already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the cricket. Football, yeah, cricket, too yeah, slow. But it's, it's around that compromising where I would go to games with him. I would do stuff with him. Now, he was a passionate motorcycle advocate and was in a Christian bike club. So that was something that also became a very big part of my life. But I also like kayaking and outdoor stuff. So we had our different things, which is really important for a healthy relationship. But the foundation should be there's more us than individual. I need to have my individual, but so long as we've got a solid us, we've got a healthy relationship. So tell us, how do we do conflict well? How can we fight well? What are some practical things we can do? You know, I've thought about that and and it's actually the wrong question because I think we fight really well. I think most of us would probably win an Academy Award for our skills at fighting (laughs) and John Gottman from the Gottman Institute talks about how we, we're good at rupture or fighting. We're just really bad at repair. Mm. So the question is, how do we do repair well? Mm. Because fighting is toxic. Yeah. So yes. how can we do this repair well? And there's some really good steps. And the first one has to start with me. So if I've got an issue with my partner, I have to think, okay, what's, what is it that I want to talk to them about? What's it about? So this is the precursor. Do I want revenge? Do I want to get even? Do I want them to suffer? Do I want to pay out? You know, or do I want to make peace? So what's my, very, what's my goal? And then the next one is how do I calm down? Hang on. So what if, mm. I, what if I answered by, by saying I want revenge? 
Okay, then you possibly need to go away and pray about yeah. that because now you're going into warfare, not not conflict resolution. Okay, so those questions are meant to stimulate us to say, well, I, I shouldn't go in with this end in mind, but something yeah. else. But keep yeah. going with the questions because you cut her off teeth. Yeah, it's about what's the goal. <laughs> so that's the first thing. And then when we're actually now trying to resolve an issue with our partner, first thing is softened startup. So how do I gently raise it? Mm-hmm. You know, who amongst us likes it when someone comes comes into us and says, we need, need to, to talk. Oh, I'm so glad you said I that. I need to talk to you. <laughs> Straight away, I'm going to get defensive, defensive and I'm going to shut down. You know, that defensiveness and the stonewalling, I'm going to defend and want to run away. So I need to have this gentle approach. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second one is I need to be able to be open to my partner's opinion. Yep. So let them influence me because, you know, it's really common when we're feeling a bit stressed that I might say what I've got to say and then when you're speaking, all I'm doing is thinking about the yeah, next so. clever thing I'm going to say. Who cares what you're saying because I'm right? So we need to be open to our partner's influence. So just one step back. So you said you you don't say we need to talk. What do you say? Because if Emma, for example, wants to talk to me uh, and she says we need to talk, it, it does. I'm like, oh, what have I done? I feel like I'm about to go into the principal's office. I get scared. Not that I really went to the principal's office. I was a good boy at school. But what do we say to each other? Say I'd like to bring up something with Emma about... Um, I mean, she's perfect, so there's nothing that I would want to bring up. But just if I was going to, how do I approach it? Um, you know, there's a difference between saying we need to talk to saying, oh, babe, there's a couple of things I wouldn't mind chatting to you about. There's a few things that I'm just feeling a bit concerned about. Or that is stuff. actually what I say just for the just for the record. And I also say, is there a time that suits you? And, and my response generally is... And I is, learned that from the marriage counsellor we saw in our first year of marriage. So excuse me, Terence Mellings. And the second year and the third year. <laughs> <laughs> but for a guy, though, it's like, okay, I like to go into things prepared. So when it's we need to talk about a few things, first of all, it's like, can we just do one thing? Because I, I, I like to compartmentalise. And if he responds... What would you like to talk about? What do you do? You start talking then, or do you just put like a, an agenda? Like you go into any meeting, a board meeting, or some sort of meeting. If you can go in with the attitude that I'm really keen to hear what you've got to say, mm-hmm. it's not just that I want you to hear what I've got to say. If I can go in and hold that position where I'm, I'm really open to having this dialogue, then it will work well. Mm. Problem is, once once some negativity starts to creep in, that's when we need to use a skill called timeout, yeah, which okay. is, hey, we're going nowhere. This We're just having stupid conversations. We're hurting each other. We're going to have to resolve this conversation after we've resolved the initial problem. So it's good to call time out and reschedule when you come back together. So what are some, you've had 30 years experience, when couples come to you, I'm not sure if you can nail it down to a few, but what are some of those conflicts that we don't do well when it comes to marriage and relationships? Some of the conflict is around women not feeling romanced, women yeah, not feeling understood, um, parenting issues, guys feeling nagged. You could probably sum it up. The main negative relationship cycle is a pursue-withdraw cycle and it's often the woman wanting to talk and get close and resolve things and understand and process stuff and the guy feeling flooded and needing to withdraw and time out. So the more he withdraws, the more she pursues, the more she pursues, the more he withdraws. And so we have this cycle where stuff doesn't get resolved. And how do you break that cycle? The issue is helping people to see that both people 
are feeling not heard. Both people are actually feeling unloved and not validated. For the person who's pursuing, why can't you hear me? Don't you care? Mm. Don't, don't you want to understand? Why don't you love me? Oh, is that how you feel, Emma? I feel like you need to stop talking and let Colleen <laughs> talk because you keep cutting her off and it's driving me crazy right now. Hmm, marriage counsel. We could just do the marriage <laughs> counselling right now. <laughs> Sorry, I, I cut you off apparently. Well, the, the next bit's on your side because when the guy, and it's usually the woman pursuing and the guy withdrawing, when the guy's withdrawing, it's not because he doesn't care. Mm. He feels like whatever he's doing is not good enough. He's failed again. He's being judged. He's not being validated. He feels unloved as well. I feel like she's been reading our emails. <laughs> we don't email each other that stuff. We email each other. Who's picking up, Hosanna? <laughs> Back to the the tips on how to do conf- conflict well. Can you continue on with the list that you were going okay, through? Okay, so we need to do our timeout and reschedule is really important. So if it's starting to get a little bit heated, my husband and I used to do this a lot. So it massively reduced any conflict. You know, I can't do this conversation right now. Can we reschedule tonight um, after work, tomorrow morning, in an hour? But then make sure you come back. Don't Mm. use it as a tool to run away. The other most important thing is to build in something called repair attempts, which is, oh, sorry, yeah, I'm... I get it. I did the wrong thing. That can be a small part of it. But the main part of it is about emotionally connecting and owning our stuff. So that I'm, I can say sorry. I can recognise, yeah, maybe that was me. Yep, maybe I did some stuff as well. And thank yous and sorries and appreciating each other. So would those be the main keys that I guess are missing when people are trying to fight well? It's really interesting. When we look at the family... Or repair well. well yeah, yeah, that. repair. Yeah, it's about repair because the, the family therapy literature really... This is 30-plus years of research talks about the only variable, there's only one variable that's been found to consistently predict couple stability and couple happiness, which is interesting and it's not fighting fair. The only variable is creating a positive environment in a relationship. Now, when you look through what some of the research says, it really is summed up in 1 Corinthians 13. There's 16 points there about how to love each other well Mm. and how to build that positive environment. So if we're focusing on trying to patch up the dodgy bits rather than trying to create an environment where the dodgy bits are less likely to happen, Mm. I think that's really what we need to be focusing on. And I think the Bible has nailed it. You know, there's millions of dollars worth of research to capture these things about persevering and being patient and kind, not remembering wrongs. Yeah. So when we were chatting off air, you were saying how often a couple will come in and they want you to play Judge Judy and they're bringing up things that happened 20 years ago that are unresolved. So how do you help them navigate that if... I mean, do you, is there a point where they just need to agree to disagree? I think it's what we talked about earlier, that difference isn't wrong. And so when there's those unresolved issues, what, what we said in the beginning, that then can breed something called perpetual problems. And it's that contempt and criticism. It starts to erode any goodwill in the relationship. 
So many times couples will come in for counselling when they've had 20 years of these perpetual problems going around in those negative cycles. So I'm not Judge Judy and I will even say to people sometimes, I'm not here to try and say who's the winner and who's the loser. It's about stepping past point scoring. And it's really hard for some couples Mm. when they're so entrenched. So the take-home message is we need to deal with stuff early on, like you guys, like that's real wisdom. Hardly anyone goes to counselling in the early stages. Yeah, that was my idea. Excuse me. (laughs) One more point for me. That was not your idea. Oh, you said don't keep score. That's right. Don't keep score. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that you talk about creating that in healthy environments. So if you see that you we're continually going around this mountain where it's just negative, it's criticism, it's toxic, we break the cycle. What if you can't recognize a cycle? Because I guess it's clear to understand, for example, with us, if Emma wants to talk and I'm like, oh, every time we talk, it's this, this, and I've got these preconceived ideas, so I just shut down or stonewall. What about, for example, we've got some friends and he feels that she is continually just criticizing him. And so his retreat is probably not the healthiest retreat, but they just won't even engage. Uh, How do you fix that? Because obviously not every relationship works, which is sad, but the goal is, can we show that there is hope for relationships? What do you do when you you feel there's no hope and that people just won't talk? It's absolutely hope. Mm. You know, God's design, we have brains that are made to change. And so we can wire up into self-righteousness. We can, I can have patterns where I'm feeling attacked, so I'll always defend. So walls go up. I can change those patterns and God made it so. Mm. So the number one is helping people to put down their weapons. If I cannot calm down, if I can't self-regulate, then I'm going in for battle. Like I'm already fired up. I have to do that first. And if I can't open my ears to my partner, then I'm not going to hear news of difference. Mm. So those two things are completely achievable, completely achievable. I hear people thinking, man, okay, I get that I've got stuff, but she just won't or he just won't see that she they've got issues. It's always me. What about that person who feels like, I, I just can't win here because all they see is me as the issue, but they can't see anything in themselves. In Australia, number one reason for marriage breakdown is communication problems. And so that's what that is because my ears are blocked and I can't hear. And there's no communication. There's only lecture and attack. And so people need to step out of their defense, defended position and hear each other because we've committed to one another. Some of that conflict happens in an earlier stage in marriage and we can do that well. We can come through that and step into a stage in our relationship called conscious love, which is where, yeah, I can see that you're different to me. You're actually not my enemy. Yeah. You know, you're just different. I love that because instead of making differences something that bring conflict, they can actually bring a compliment. It's like, wow, your difference adds to mine. Like black and white notes on a keyboard. What a beautiful (laughs) sound when they come together. Colleen, can I just ask, I've observed, now this possibly could make me sound a little judgmental, but I've observed a few relationships that have been together for many, many, many years And there are very obvious dysfunctions in that relationship. And I look at both of these couples that I'm thinking of and 
I wonder why do you accommodate that dysfunction? It's very obvious that it's inhibiting your happiness and well-being and sometimes they're quite public about that. Why do you think people stay together or not that they say choose to stay together, that's a good thing, but why do they not try and resolve it? Why do they just live like that for so many years? I think a lot of people feel like they've tried. And it's the other person's fault. If only they would change, mm. yeah. then everything would be great. So now I just have to be resigned to the fact that I married a dud and <laughs> I just have to make the best of it. And I think some people do settle for that. And I mainly get stuck in that thing of if only they would change because I'm a bit stuck in my own pride and my agenda and my ways the right way. And remember, we're trying to create a new us. And so we don't know what that is. Mm. We haven't, when we get married, we don't know what that's going to look like. So we need to actively try and build something new, mm. not just repeat my family of origin and nor my partner repeat his. That's really gold. I think Emma touched on it when sometimes it's easy to look at another couple and think both ends of the spectrum. One, wow, I wish I had a marriage like theirs. Because we live in a generation with Instagram or, and with reality shows where we get a picture of what we think relationships should look like. And that's what we expect. But what we are starting to experience is way down here. But at the same time, looking at other couples and think, oh, how can you live with that? But maybe their us is different than, than someone else's us, and that's okay for them. And I think it, you, what you're giving is a lot of freedom for people to realize, well, if it's working for us and it matches up with good, wholesome, godly values, then that's okay. Yeah, you know, couples that are more different to each other have a better success rate than couples who are more similar to each other. Wow, there's hope, Emma. Yeah. Wow, because it's really interesting. Because Terence, we are so opposite in every single way. The only thing that we really have in common is we both like music. And we both love this. I cannot stand that. Okay. <laughs> what I'm holding up For right now. For everyone listening, Terence is holding up dental floss. This is a major... No, you know what? Let's talk about... Are you seriously going to floss your teeth right now? Okay, guys. Okay, no, let's talk Lisa about Lisa, I have this. a table between them. <laughs> let's talk about this. Okay, so we have been married 10 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Used dental floss is... It, it causes me a lot of stress. Okay, it is everywhere. I find it uh, on the kitchen table. I sat down on the Ew. couch yesterday and it was sitting on the couch. Ew. Our one-year-old. No, it is true. I took a photo. Don't no, say it's, it's not true. It's I took cheaper. a photo of it. No, no, no. I, our one-year-old, I find her holding it. Now, it's used dental floss. And honestly, every night, Terrence will come into the bedroom flossing his teeth and then he flicks the food onto the bed, onto the oh, ground. Emma, that's, that's so what you do. That's so what not it's true. not. And First I started, wait, wait, aunt, let me speak. You always speak. Why does the hand always go no, up in my face yeah. as you and, talk? And I started taking photos of it because this is, what, this is what he says. He goes, it's not true. I'm like, okay, I'll just take photos of the dental floss. It's like it's another member of our family. It's used dental floss. It's in the bathroom, on the bathroom floor when I go to the bathroom. Literally every room of the house. I find it so incredibly unhygienic. It's A not just beautiful and example of unresolved conflict. It is unresolved. And I've spoken to him so many times and he just does that. He doesn't even say... Is there a question coming? Yes. He doesn't actually even say, uh, I'm sorry, I'll stop doing that. He, he doesn't actually take responsibility. So what does he say? So I don't feel like there's hope that he'll stop doing it. Do I have to stop or could you just appreciate the fact that I floss? See, that's what he says. Hmm. Honestly, babe, I'd rather you not floss because it's out of control. <sighs> Imagine, imagine what that would smell like if I didn't floss. You know, maybe, Emma, you need to start leaving used dental floss around everywhere and then it would just 
Equalize the relation. I'm joking. We would walk into a house full of dental floss. We'd be waiting, waiting through dental when floss. My, at the rare occasions where my wife does wash the dishes, she leaves the soap suds on. <laughs> and I'm like, sweetheart, it actually defeats the purpose of washing the dishes because every time I go to use something, I've got to rinse it again. And she, if she would come to the party with that, I'd happily put the floss in the bin. You know, I have seen couples where their reason for separating was the fact that she would gouge the margarine out of the middle of the tub <laughs> instead Emma, of smoothly slicing from the top or that someone would put the toilet paper around the wrong way which is the right way I'm not sure or I don't even know what the right way is squeezing the toothpaste oh, instead of Emma, rolling again. up from the bottom <laughs> scrunching I from the bet tube you they were from the country from There's Queensland. Nothing, hey, <laughs> us country folk are way more relaxed. The rest of the world needs to take a few tips from so, us. Honestly, relationships <laughs> divorce just on those things. The thing Look. is, it's actually not those things. Mm. It's the theme underneath. It's what's the message that people are giving each other? What's the message that I'm hearing? If we get locked in that my way is the right way, then that's called a war. We've got two sides but going if, into battle. what if no, no, your no. way is the right way? No, no. Stop okay, talking. we have a war. So remember we talked about the soft startup, mm -hmm. having, you know, in, inviting our partner into a warm dialogue to, to with the goal of making peace. So that's the first one. Not I've got to go in there to win and prove to my partner that they're wrong and that I'm right mm -hmm. the second one is about being open to influence hearing my partner's opinion digging down to the deeper thing that maybe it's not that they're trying to control me maybe it's that this is something that's causing them concern maybe this is something that they're struggling with and they need some TLC some love some understanding it's really hard to back down sometimes when we feel like that would make me the loser mm. or that means they're going to win that just can't be the agenda when we're trying to resolve relationship stuff because it's not a war remember we're creating an us and in an us we want to be actively trying to break down as many walls as we can doesn't mean anyone has to give in but how do we accommodate stuff how do I hear my partner and what things in that, what needs in that can I actually meet rather than you're just silly and I'm right. You hear that, Terence? It's great advice. <laughs> well, I think what she was trying to say, Emma, is we receive it for ourselves instead of thinking the other person needs it. But what I hear from that, Colleen, is this. It's about going into the, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's about going into the relationship thinking we're trying to create an us here. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get a win-win mm -hmm. and not just get my point yep. across that I'm right, which I think, I, I just love that concept of we're creating an us. Yeah, Because like it actually, it's a, it's a beautiful blank canvas where we get to yes. paint a beautiful picture together. Yes. And that's, that's gold. Yes. Now we are actually almost out of time, but before we finish up, we had some listener requested questions. Yes. And I just want to ask one of these. We actually have many, many, which we'll get to uh, in the next podcast with you. But I just wanted to ask this one because a few people actually asked the same one. Do you think there are different stages a marriage go through and how can we make it better and better instead of just maintaining? A hundred percent there's different stages. And I think it's it's clever how God gets us to partner. So the very first stage, let's say there's five, mm. the first stage is all that passion mm. and we have this amazing 
It's called limerence. We have this chemically driven attraction to our partner and we have this sense of nobody has a love like ours. You know, we, we've nailed real passion. Now, the tricky thing with limerence is it lasts about 18 months to two years and then some of those hormones and chemicals start settling down. Now, most of us will, are going to be in a committed relationship after two years. So the second stage is something called what was I thinking? Well, or more around. I've never gotten there. <laughs> I went there in our first year of marriage. But as the reality <laughs> sets in, we can feel really disillusioned because we're on this pinnacle of euphoria and then we come back to normal. The other really interesting thing is when we're dating and we've got all of those neurochemicals that are like dopamine and norepinephrine that are making us feel woohoo, Guys have an increase in something called oxytocin. Girls have lots of oxytocin. It's that stuff that we like talking to our girlfriends. We like having conversation and deep and meaningfuls. And, you know, you feel really good after you've had these chats. So guys' oxytocin levels increase and girls think, I've finally found a man who wants to talk. This is amazing. (laughs) Now, at the same time... Men have more testosterone than women, but in this dating time, women's testosterone increases. And so which means she's more, oh, baby, I'm so attracted to you. And guys will think, I've finally met a woman who's comfortable with her sexuality. Mm -hmm. Woohoo. Now, when we get married and that limerence settles down, guys' oxytocin levels goes back to what it normally is. Women's testosterone goes back to what it normally is. So the second stage can feel really disillusioning because what happened to all that pizzazz that was going on? Well, you know, it's interesting. As I've spoken to a lot of people and even our experience, I think because many couples are dating for a whole lot longer, that it's that's when they experience the limerence and they push the boundaries and whatever. And then when they get married quicker, I'm finding that couples are going into that second stage, which you said, where it's you get married and you think, oh, flip. Yep. Because you had all that testosterone, oxytocin, all that good stuff, <laughs> all those big words I don't really understand happening in the dating stage. So, and because I, I, I do get shocked when I do hear that marriages end so quickly after the first one or two years. So I'm thinking, isn't, we hear things like you just said, the first 18 months are meant to be, oh, amazing and filled with all these, you know, f- big words. What's it called? <laughs> that it's hormone? great. Oh, the, the, the oxytocin, endorphins, dopamine, yeah. norepinephrine, all that stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. well, you, you're meant to be in this bliss during the first 18 months, so we expect that we're meant to do that. But because the dating period's been so long, by the time most couples I'm finding these days get married, they're in the stage they get married and they hit the drop a whole lot quicker is that why so many people are giving up because what they expect and what they're experiencing is such a big gap could it be look it's really tricky because in our culture um our culture kind of promotes serial monogamy Mm. you know i'm committed for as long as it lasts yeah and then when it's not lasting anymore then i'll bail and I'll be committed to my next monogamous relationship. Now, that's kind of the cultural message, but let me say, it's actually, we've got some bad stats on how marriages are faring. You know, we'll hear the common chatter around it's 50% of marriages fail. It's just not true. Sorry, I'm glad you said that because it's such a lie. So what is the actual stats, approx? It's really hard for anyone to determine the real stats, but if we look at the number of people who are remaining married, Mm 
So if we look at it from that perspective, the people who are married and are still in their marriage, so that's a pretty good stat. But it then catches the people who are no longer married, which means people who are widowed and mm. divorced. Yeah, okay. So it's not a clean stat. But even including people who are widowed and divorced, the stats are saying 2009, 70% of marriages are successful, 70%. So we're looking at 30%. 2011, saying that 72% of marriages are successful. I think it's good to really articulate that because it gives hope. Because even if I look at my circle of friends, I don't think it's 50-50. I think it's definitely about 70 to 80% of marriages stay well. And there's a few that don't actually work. Because you go in thinking, oh, well, it may not work. And there's there's no reason to hold on to hope. What I think will give a whole lot of hope is that the other three stages, does the whole sex and drive and yes. passion come back? Let's, Please let's tell me. Back do, we, do we get back to that? Yes, yes, yes. What is stage three? If you see okay. out stage St- two. Stage three and four we can kind of put together. I put them together because it's around awareness and commitment. So it really is the stage of, gosh, if only my partner would change, everything would be all right. Mm. So I'm becoming aware of who they are and what they bring. I'm becoming aware of who I am and what I bring. I have the choice to become committed to change and work it through. As well, in that stage, most of us are starting to bring kids into the mix. So it's quite challenging, these two stages. They're kind of a big chunk of our time. For those of us who communicate better and are better at resolving conflict, the stages last less time. And then we move into something called conscious love. And conscious love is where we actually are living out 1 Corinthians 13, Mm. where I'm making my, my partner a priority. I'm making the relationship a priority. And that's good living. That's what the predictor for happy, healthy, stable relationship. That's so beautiful. Good. Wow. Awesome. I think it's phenomenal to think that we can actually live out 1 Corinthians 13 as a marriage and as a relationship because that's what most of us will read when we do our vows and when we do our wedding. We commit to a love which never fails, which doesn't remember wrongs, which is patient, which is kind. And I think if we can keep that as our standard for our relationships, then we can leave a better, a happier, and a healthy story when it comes to relationships. Colleen, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. Now, we are going to get you back for another podcast. And the first question I'm going to kick off with, Colleen, just so you can get prepared for next time, is you've had five kids. Does the sex come back after children? Wow. (laughs) Make sure you tune in next time. Such a boy question. (laughs) (laughs) It's everyone's question. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks for listening to the Terence and Emma podcast all about relationships and seeing things differently. If you liked it, share the love and send it round and tune in again next time.